Good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming to Bible class on a rainy night. I mean, what else are you going to do? And uh, so it's an honor to be here with you. And, uh, and this is one of my favorite times. And I appreciate the chance to be able to do this with you. I started something last week. It's just a series of lessons where we've called the gospel according to Moses. Trying to show you how that uh, what we have is got a lot of history to it. And uh, for years, I, I've tried um, to try and help people understand the Bible. I don't want you to have to pick up the Bible and start saying, what in the world, what's going on here? What, what's, what's this book about? I want you to be able to open that Bible and regardless of what book you turn to, you ought to have a, some semblance of understanding of what's going on there. And, uh, you know, for years I've taught you about something called context. Um, as you read your Bible, you're going to have a question about that verse. And so... I, I uh, read 10 verses before and read 10 verses after. Find, do, the, do the landscape there. Find, a, find, find the setting that, that's going on there. A lot of times I use the NIV or the message or the amplified. I don't use them for doctrine. They're not good for doctrine. But the uh, New International Version and message and amplified are, uh, are very good to gain better understanding about what's going on. And um, there's a scripture in John chapter 7. Uh, Jesus said, he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. And so I, uh, I don't want to get too technical with you. However, this is Bible study. And um, there's two words uh, you don't have to remember them, but some of you will. And um, when you really start getting a little deeper into it, there's, a, there's something called intertextuality. I-N-T-E-R. Intertextuality. And then there's something called inner textuality. I-N-N-E-R. They're not the same. And... Um, for instance, um, I, I, I don't know who said it. I, I, I'm, I, I've used it for years. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And um, I, I've, I've used... A, an example for years about my grandmother. She used to make rugs out of rags. They never threw anything away. And she would make these beautiful rugs out of old worn out towels and washcloths and sheets and pillowcases. They got too threadbare and too worn and torn. She'd throw them in this big basket that she had. And uh, she'd rip them into strips and she'd weave them into these beautiful rugs. Then you get to the end and you tie it. So I was, you know, always precocious, and, and when they weren't looking, I'd untie the rug. And, uh, and I just got a, whatever, you know, my daughter has a, she has an iPhone, she has an iPad, uh, she has an iWatch, she has a, a Wii system, um, and she constantly says, I'm bored. I'm bored. Well, when I was a kid, we 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 had uh, rugs, and uh, I I just would enjoy untying a rug, and I'd pull on it over here, and it would pucker over there, and uh, that's my mental model for you of the Bible. I am convinced that there are things introduced to us in Genesis. And when you pull on them in Genesis, they'll pucker over in the New Testament. They'll pucker over the river. They're, they're themes. They're threads that are woven all the way through the Bible. 
And uh, so the New Testament reveals what seems to be kind of like a flower just blooming, you know. And um, uh, many times, many, 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 I, I, I don't know how many, that there are direct quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And when there are direct quotes in um, the New Testament from the Old. In other words, um, I'll give you an example of what I would call intertextuality. On the day of Pentecost, people were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And there was a lot of confusion. And in verse number 12 of Acts 2, they said, what does this mean? What's going on here? And Peter, in verse number 16, he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So he's using an Old Testament verse to explain to them what's going on. So a writer is quoting to a crowd, whatever, an Old Testament verse. That's, that's intertextuality. But then there's something called intertextuality. And that's when... Uh, a book of the Bible refers back to something many times written earlier in that book or in another book earlier in the Bible. For instance, like if you, if you read Psalms chapter 1, Psalms chapter 1 talks about two kinds of people, the wicked and the righteous. And if you read the Psalms, that phrase and that concept is there again and again and again and again, but it's always referring back to that very first psalm. And um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's what I would have called the law of first mention. When, when something is mentioned for the very first time in the Bible, you need to pay attention to it. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And you really need to pay attention to it when that thing that you read back there gets repeated again and again and again. Um, I showed you last week how that Jesus walked with these two depressed men who had seen him die. They were just despondent. You know, they were convinced he was going to free them from all their Roman oppression and, and he's dead. They're on their way back to Emmaus. Uh, we don't know exactly where Emmaus was. Apparently it was about eight miles from Jerusalem. But there is no Emmaus today. And um, he said, why are you so depressed? And they said, um, where have you been for the last three days? <laughs> and so it says in Luke 24, and beginning at Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, he explained how he had to die, be buried, and rise again the third day. So when you take those three really big categories, uh, Moses is credited with the first five books in the Old Testament, Matthew, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And we know the Psalms, what they were. And then when you talk about the prophets, <laughs> there's 40 people in the Bible referred to as prophets. That's, that's most of the Old Testament. But what interests me, it says, and, and beginning at Moses, and the Psalms, and the prophets. And so, I, I want to do tonight what Jesus did years ago. I want to go back to the beginning, and I want to start in Genesis. So here's the very first verse in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that phrase, in the beginning, pops up again and again and again in the Bible. I'll show you an example. Here's John. You have, you know, John wrote five books. Paul, of course, wrote more, but John wrote five. You've got the Gospel of John. And then you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then you have Revelation. But look at the first verse in the Gospel of John. In the beginning 
was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He uses that same phrase in the very next verse. The same was in the beginning with God. Not only did John use that phrase in the first verse of his book and the second verse of his book, but he also refers to the same subject in verse number three. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. He's talking about creation, just like in the beginning. And, and this is not the only time John referred to this phrase in the beginning. Because in the first chapter of the book, First John, listen to First John 1 and 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifest unto us. In both places, in John 1 and in 1 John 1, he refers to the Word and in the beginning. And there's another connection. Because in the book, the Gospel of John, 1 and 14, it said... And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what he did in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, he does in the first chapter of 1 John. Here's verse number 2 in 1 John chapter 1. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. We bear witness. We show unto you that eternal life which was from the Father and was manifest in us. So not only is the phrase in the beginning used in Genesis, the Gospel of John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 1, in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, this is what it says. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall wax old as a garment, and as a vesture shall thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Hebrews 1, 10, 11, and 12 is a quote from Psalms 102. Here's Psalms 102, verse 25. Of old... Hast thou laid the foundation of the earth? The heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years have no end. And this is really cool, because these verses that are read to you from Hebrews 1, 10, 11, 12, are, quote, from Psalms in the Old Testament, chapter 102, 25, 26, and 27, which is a reference to an earlier scripture in the Old Testament found in the book of Job, which says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So I, your question could be, how in the world is this going to help me understand Jesus better? Because when John refers to Genesis 1 and 1, when John says, in the beginning, he identifies Jesus Christ as the God who created the earth. He said, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And, and that gets really powerful when you read this verse. This is Isaiah chapter 44. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Here's Job 9 and 8. Which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. 
He's saying, I did it all by myself. Nobody helped me. So here's Genesis 101. In the beginning, God. Now, you know, Old Testament written in Hebrew. The Hebrew, there's lots of technical stuff to get into. I'll, I'll do this, make as simple as I know how. In Genesis 1 and 1, the word God there is a Hebrew word, Elohim. And, and what's fascinating is Elohim is a plural word. And, uh, you know, in English, there's the same thing in English as in, as in um, Hebrew. If you have a single noun, you need a single verb. I was. If you have a plural noun, you need a plural verb. We were. You just don't say we was. Okay? You're getting them mixed up. And so singular nouns require singular verbs. And plural nouns require plural verbs. But there are times in Hebrew, which is a totally different language, when the subject is plural, but the verb is singular. And one of those laws that every Hebrew teacher agrees with is that when a plural noun is accompanied with a singular verb, you always have to use and always have to treat the subject as singular. So even though Elohim is plural, created is singular. So you've got to look at Elohim not as a trio or many, but as one. This is not a plurality of beings. It's not a trio of spirit persons. This is one being, one person creating. So if the first reference in the Bible is referring to one God creating, then we should expect the later uses of that phrase in the beginning to also refer to that one God doing the creating. And you should not expect to discover later in the Bible that more than one God was involved in doing the creating. So when you read John 1 and 1 and 1 John 1, even though a lot of distance between those in Genesis 1 and 1, we know that these verses don't contradict that first thing in the Bible. In the beginning, God by himself did this. So in John 1 and 1, of course, New Testament, Old Testament's Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. In the beginning was the word. Now, it's Bible study, so I'm just going to give you some stuff. There's two words in Greek for what is translated word in English. There's logos and there's rhema. For instance, in Romans chapter 10, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But the Greek word for word in Romans 10 is rhema. And rhema means when you personalize the word. In other words, you're, you're sitting in church and you don't say, now I'm glad that old reprobate three pews behind me is here tonight because they really need this. But it's rather you personalize and say, that was for me. That's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the word or by personalizing it and say, I, I, you know, I've, I've never heard anybody teach about this. I know there's something to it. I haven't quite figured it all out. But Matthew 8, Mark 5, and Luke 8 all tell the same story about what's known as the demoniac of Gadara. This guy that lives in the graveyard. And he cut himself. If you've ever deal, dealt with a lot of teenagers through the years, cutters just, just got a hell for a life. And that, it, it's, it's right in the Bible. This guy cut himself and um, can't go home. Lives in the tombs. But in Matthew chapter 8, it says there were two that met him out of the tombs. Everybody talks about the demoniac of Gadara. There were demoniacs. 
Two guys meet the same Jesus. Two guys hear the, fa- the same sermon. Two guys go to the same church service. One gets delivered and the other stays bound. You know why? One of them personalized it. One of them said, that's for me. That's where faith comes from. And so in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. It's not rhema, it's this word logos. It's where the word logic comes from. If you have a company has a logo, that same thing. So I was just been curious, what in the world did John mean by in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the logos? Because there's a lot of history there because the word logos is a common word when you read Greek philosophy. And when the Greeks talked about logos, that meant reasoning or thinking. They, they didn't believe logos was God. They, 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 they believed it was reasoning. It was a thought. If you were here when Brother um, Morgan was here, he did a really excellent job about this. And how many of you have ever heard the word Aramaic? Can I see your hand? Have you ever heard that word, Aramaic? Good. Ladies and gentlemen, John was a fisherman. John was not a Greek philosopher. Okay? Aramaic is another language that is a close cousin to Hebrew. And this is the language that most people used in daily conversation when Jesus was here ministering. We know that Jesus spoke Aramaic. If you've, I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. If you've ever seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, whatever you think about Mel Gibson, I'm not here to, 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 to whatever, criticize him or exonerate him. What I do know about reading from him is he had a God encounter and he built a Catholic church. It's all he knew was Catholic. He built a Catholic church and he insisted that the service would be in Latin. And um, he wanted it as real as he could make it. If if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, all of the actors spoke in Aramaic. The subtitles are in English, but they're all speaking Aramaic. Why? Because Gibson insisted that these people speak in the language of the common man and woman during the time of Jesus. Here's Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5 and verse 41. He took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto you, arise. These words, Talitha kumai, are Aramaic, and they literally mean, little girl, get up. Jesus said this to her, not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic. And that's why the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Aramaic for the first century church. And when Old Testament, and as I tried to show you last week, they didn't have the New Testament. All they've got is the Old Testament. And so they translated Hebrew into the language of the common man and woman, Aramaic. And this is where you get a word called the Targum. And and in in Aramaic, word, W-O-R-D, is not logos. It's a word called memra. And it, it means God doing something. God is active. Old Testament translators that did it in Aramaic used different words for God. What I'm trying to show you is even though our New Testament was written in Greek, translated into English, and uses the word logos, logos is a word from Greek. John wasn't a Greek. John was basically an Aramaic fisherman. His mind wasn't about 
thought. His mind was membra. God doing something. God being active. And it is not only the Aramaic Targums that identify God with his word. So do the Hebrew writers. Here's Psalms chapter 33, beginning at, at verse number or 33 and 6. This is what it says. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Okay, God's talking. All right, makes a lot of sense. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. God said, okay. Here's Psalms 29. Listen to verse 3, starting in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He make them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Zirin like a young unicorn. Watch. Here we go again. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, which were mountain goats, and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. It's very obvious that the writer of the book of Psalms is saying that the voice of the Lord is none other than the Lord himself. What I'm trying to show you is how in the world can you separate the voice from the speaker? If you do Greek, you know, in the beginning was the word. Word was with God. Word was God. Logos. Let's use logos, which means mind, will, thought, plan, or word. I can scripturally say in the beginning was the thought. And the thought was with God and the thought was God. Ladies and gentlemen, how in the world can you separate the thinker of the thought from the thought? Okay? I I know this. just, Just bear with me for a minute. Because this is the background of John. This is how his mind was thinking when he wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. He wasn't a Greek philosopher. He wasn't writing that thinking or reason is what was in the beginning. He is saying that God was there and he created all things. And he's saying from his first verse, the word was God, not reason, not thinking, God himself. And by using that very same phrase in the beginning, John is identifying God who created all things with verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, we know him. We know him. He he is saying that the same spirit that was in the body of Jesus Christ is the same spirit that created the worlds. He is writing to dispel the myth that so many of these Greek philosophers, it said, it, it said it, he, Jesus just seemed to be human. I, I, I've showed you for, for many times about when he appeared to them, he said, handle me and see. The Greek word is hologram. They thought he was like smoke, that when they would go to touch him, their hand would just pass right through him. But, but watch what John says. No, 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 no. This is not an act. See, if he's, a, if he's a hologram, then his suffering wasn't real. Calvary wasn't real. The resurrection wasn't real. That's why, listen to what John wrote in his first book. He said, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. In other words, to deny that Jesus had a human body is to deny that God came in flesh. All right? No wonder he said this in the first chapter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, 
we looked upon and our hands have handled. I, did, I touched something. I grabbed something there. The word of life. He's saying, I did more than hear him. I saw him. I handled him. I touched him. He was not an apparition. He was not a zephyr. He was not smoke. He was not a hologram. He was real. And so I I like what he, he didn't say, I touched Jesus. He said, I handled the word of life. The word of life. In his gospel, the gospel of John, John wrote that the word became flesh. But in his first letter, in the first chapter of his first letter, he wrote that life was manifest. (laughs) In his gospel, he wrote that the word was God. But in his first letter, he wrote that eternal life was from the Father. It was this eternal life, this word that was made flesh. And I want you to get this by referring back to previous verses written hundreds of years before, the Bible is not just proving that God was the author of it, but showing that the God who created the heavens and the earth is none other than the one that we now know as Jesus Christ. Jesus is not separate from the creator. He is the creator. So compare these verses. Here's John 14 and verse 10. Believest thou not that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me? He said, uh, he went on to say, it's the Father that's in me that does the works. I want you to believe that I'm more than just a man. I got, the, I got God, I got the Father, I got the Holy Spirit. It's in me. I want you to believe that. I don't have time to read all you the verses between chapter 14, verse 10 and 14 and 20. But listen to what he said nine verses later. At that day, you shall know them and the Father, ye and me and I and you. Now see, how in the world do we know what happened on day one, two, three, four and five in Genesis There was no man there. Man's not created until the sixth day. So the only way we can possibly know what happened in the first five days is by divine revelation. God showed Moses what he called his backside, his hinder parts, the past. Okay? You realize they've had this Old Testament for how many hundreds of years? I mean, I don't even know. How many years are there between Adam and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It's it's a bunch. They've got the Old Testament scriptures. I want you to believe them. Okay, I will. No one was there in the beginning when God had authority over the water and said, I want you to push back. I want, to, I want the earth to be shown. No one was there when God had authority over the wind and the water and the elements. No one was there. You just got to believe that. It's in the book. Okay, I believe. No one was there when light shined out from the sun for the very first time. Just going to have to believe I turned that dude on like a light bulb. Yes, sir. No one was there in the beginning when God had authority over the fish of the sea. You just got to believe that. No one was there when God had authority over the animals. No one was there when God made man from the dust of the earth. But they were there. When they said, hey, Jesus, wake up. We're fixing to drown. Now these are, these are fishermen, most of these, a lot of these guys. They've been on these waters a lot of their life. They're scared. I've been in a couple of those situations before where I was scared, but these people on the boat I was with, they weren't afraid. They'd, they'd been through this a bunch of times. These guys are scared. 
They wake him up. He comes up under the bow of the boat and he goes, hey, I'm trying to sleep down here. And the wind goes, oh, it's the master. Sorry, boss. And he commanded the wind, fix the wind, the waves lie down. No one was there when light shined out from the sun for the very first time. But read the book of Malachi chapter 4. And it refers refers to Messiah as the son of righteousness. S-U-N, not S-O-N, S-U-N, capital S. The son of righteousness. No one was there on that day four when the greater light to rule the day turned on for the very first time. But in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus, the son, took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, watch this. Bam! And they said a light came out of him brighter than the noonday sun. They fell on their face like they were dead. No one was there. When he began his ministry, you realize Jesus started his ministry with a harvest of fish and he ended his ministry with a harvest of fish. And they were there on April the 15th when, you know, Matthew's the tax collector. Hey, Jesus, I got, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it's the 15th. We got to pay taxes. Well, obviously he did a short form, not a long form, not a lot to itemize. Where do you live? Mm -hmm. You know, birds got a nest. I don't have a nest. You know, I I, I, I borrowed somebody else's boat. I borrowed somebody else's lunch. I I borrowed somebody else's donkey. I'm even going to borrow somebody else's tomb, but I only need it for three days. So it's a good deal. He says, Pete, I want you to go to fishing. And, and Pete goes down by the shore, gets a stick, finds an old piece of monofilament, some kid caught in the limbs, tied something shiny to the end of it, threw it over there at the end of the dock, and there just happened to be a, a, a bloated fish that came up and belched out the exact money they needed for their taxes. And if that ain't enough, that's living fish, okay? First harvest, first catch, there's so many in, the nets are breaking. The last catch in John 21, the nets won't break, said there's 153 big ones. I talked to you about that a couple months ago, called it Fish Stories. It was a great sermon. Too bad I only got to do it once. Put it in a box, probably never do it again. But if living fish ain't enough, let me tell you about Jesus teaching three days. And there's a kid there whose mom's brought him a lunch. Two days ago, I, got, I think it's two, this is Wednesday, right? Okay. I got home late Monday and Renee said, we got to get something to eat. And I said, okay, I'll give you two options, Panera or Five Guys. She said, we'll go to Five Guys. So we get a Five Guys, get a hamburger and fries. By the, time, by the time I picked up the bag at the back of the store and walked 30 feet to put it down on this little table we were going to eat at, the grease had already just drenched the bag. That's 30 feet. So you tell me how greasy the bag was after three days. Jesus took a three-day-old piece of greasy fried fish and turned it (laughs) into filet sandwiches. That's power. No no, no one was there when, when, when the creator had authority over the animals. But Jesus said, go down here a couple hundred yards. There's a mailbox, go left, go down the lane. There are going to be a couple of animals tied up in front of that farmhouse. There's going to be a young donkey there. Nobody's ever ridden on him before. Just go untie that young donkey and bring him to me. In obedience to Jesus, 
They find the farmhouse. They're untying the donkey. All of a sudden, dogs screaming. Screen door screeches. Old dude comes out with his bib overall and said, hey, what y'all think you're doing my donkey? And they said, the master needs him. Oh, why didn't you say so? I'm convinced this, there, there are multiple times in the Bible where he said they brought the whole family and he, or the whole city and he healed them all. Many other things John said done. If they had all been written, not even the world could contain the books. That's power, ladies and gentlemen. I'm convinced this old guy either was healed. Did, 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 did Kinto tell you that story Sunday about the missionary? Where are you? Is Kinto, are you here? I, I knew. I mean, we had, I, I was doing a thing in Texas for a young home missionary pastor, and I, I was glad. I, I knew. I, Saturday, Kento's taking me to the airport, and I said, okay, tell me what happened on your mission trip. And the whole time we're talking, an hour and 20 minutes to get to the airport with this wonderful road system we have here. <laughs> I wish one of you would listen to me and buy an orange barrel factory. That's the state tree of Michigan. Hour and 20 minutes. It's just flowing out of me. He's crying. I'm crying. Presence of God's in the car. And I knew, hot dog, going to have church tomorrow. I knew it. He said, Pastor, let me tell you a story. He said, we were with Brother Dross for a couple of days. And then we went out we're other, with other pastors. Our kids, you probably know this, did nine services on one Sunday. Three teams did three services each in 110 degree heat. Okay. But they all came back inspired and excited. and Yeah, it cost us some money, but look at the payoff. Look at the payoff. I know we're in the middle. Sunday, of course, is Imagine Sunday. I realize, trust me, I realize. But I'm asking you to push with me. We need $100,000 a month. We're a little low this month. We'll get it this Sunday. We need to get 100000 so that we can be at five and a half at the end of three years. We, we'll do that, okay? Just don't get lazy, all right? Just stay focused. So uh, um, I, 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 now I don't even know why I was telling you that story. And uh, um, he, he said, uh, Pastor, the... Oh, I know what it wasn't Dross, the missionary. It was just one of the pastors. And one of the pastors said, Kinto, not long ago, I was kidnapped by the cartel. And they put a hood over my head. And he said, he said, I wasn't afraid. But he said, I I had resigned myself that probably I was going to die. And he said, they drove me to a place. And instead of being rough and crude with me, they, they took me out of the van. And they took me in this place. And he said, I told him, don't take my hood off. (laughs) I don't want to see your faces. Okay. So he said, to my surprise, they said, we want you to pray. We have someone very, very sick. He said, all I know is I think I was praying for a little girl. And he said, they brought a little girl out. I prayed. The presence of God came. He said, they put me back in in the car and took me back home. Three days later, a giant suitcase of $100 bills ended up on his porch. And to his credit, even though he's poor, took the money and gave it back to him. Said, I tried as nicely as he could. Said, I don't want your drug money. Since then, they've taken him three more times. Because obviously, when he prayed for the little girl, God healed her. Now they pick him up, put a hood on his head, and take him there and said, would you pray? That's power, ladies and gentlemen. That's power. <laughs> That's power. I'm convinced this old guy, either him or somebody in his family got healed. And he said, hey, if you ever need anything, you just come by the house. We'll fix you up. And all of a sudden, the master needs him. Well, sure, go ahead. And Jesus takes a donkey, which should have been bucking and screaming. He sits on it without incident. And rides into Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah that he was going to come on the foal of a donkey. It's there. No one was there when God made man out of dust. But they were there when he took dust and wrote in it and gave an embarrassed woman a new day and used that dust to wash her sins away and to dispel her accusers. And if that isn't enough, 
They were there. No one was there when God made man of dust the earth. But in the Bible, there's a guy that's blind. He's obviously got an empty socket in the side of his head. Jesus scoops up some dirt and goes, spits in it, puts it in his guy. And he said, now go wash. And he takes that muddy goo. And when he washes it to pull us alone, he's got a brand new eyeball. Why? Because all of the things that God did as creator in Genesis are just things he is asking people to believe. I just want you to believe this. I want you to believe this. But he said, something's going to happen. And what he's saying is, I'm going to die and I'm going to resurrect and I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And at that day, you're not going to have to believe. You will know. You will know who I am and who you are. That's why they talk about, you know, doubting Thomas. That's a bad moniker because he didn't stay doubting all of his life. You know, Jesus, she said, touch me. Come on, touch me, man. And, and he did. And he said, my Lord and my God. And he said, he said, Thomas, blessed are those. Blessed are you because you've seen and believed. But greater still are those who haven't seen. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a place in God where knowing is superior to believing. Why? Because you've seen him do it. It's just, I don't want our kids just believing the Bible. I want them to see people get baptized. I want them to see people speak with tongues. I want them to see people healed. I want them to see a church working in harmony and unity and one. I want them to see that. I want them to see marriages, real marriages, where daddy loves mommy and mommy loves daddy. I want to see that. I believe that's possible. My lesson is involved, but I'm trying to convey something to you. By knowing Jesus, you know the creator. And that amazing truth that is the very first verse in the Bible is not just theoretical stuff to you, but you've seen him change things. You've seen him create things. The Bible says, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Follow you. Do you know there's a verse that says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In fact, probably, I can't remember the exact reference. Matthew can probably find it. Moses told God, I want to see you. And he said, okay, I, 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 I won't let you see me, but I'll tell you what I will do. I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you my goodness. He said, I'll put you in a crack in the rock and I'll show you my hinder parts. I'm convinced that's where Moses got the revelation of the creation. He saw the backside of what God had done. Saw stuff when nobody was there to see it. But it is fascinating to me that when you read Genesis chapter 1, it said, and God said, it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day, and God said, it was good. And the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day, God said it was good. So when it says that his that he's following you, his goodness and his mercy. What is the goodness of God? It's not that he's a nice guy. I'm convinced that if you use scripture to explain scripture, the goodness of God is his ability to create something out of nothing. So my admonition to you as you drive home on a wet road tonight, slow down. And don't always have Jesus in your rear view mirror going. I, I have a friend who pastors a church in Illinois. They have a wonderful youth choir. They've sung all over the world, their youth choir. And the girls had, and it's not just the girls. 
Is there any guy along with me that's willing to admit you've seen Anne of Green Gables? Is there anybody? Thank you. Anne with an E, have you seen that? I like it. I like it when she gets on that Merelda's nerves. I, I like it. Well, the girls from Brother, uh, I won't use his name. They, they wanted to go to Prince Edward Island and they wanted to see Green Gables. And while they were there, they'd been on the road for a long time. They said, do you think it might be possible we could go swimming? And so they heard, you know, you go down here and there's a swimming hole. And, you know, your girls can be one place, your boys can be another. So they drive this big tour bus. Road, smaller road, smaller road. Finally, they're on a two-track in the woods. Woods everywhere. Brushing up against the bus. They find this guy walking on this two-track and they said, hey, is there a place around here where our kids can swim? And he said, nope, I I don't reckon. I've been here for a long time. No, no place. It took them an hour to turn the bus around. They finally got the bus turned around and they're going back out of this two track and all of a sudden the kids are yelling, he's running at us, he's running at us. Stop the bus. They stopped the bus and the old guy comes up to the door, huffing and puffing, he said, I just talked to my really best friend and he's lived here all his life and he don't know anywhere where you can swim either. (laughs) My point is, ladies and gentlemen, I think sometimes we live so quick the creative power of God is running behind us trying to catch up and said, I'd like to change something in your life. You just slow down a little bit and wait on me. And let that thing to catch up and let the goodness of mercy not just follow you, but let it catch up with you and understand. In the beginning was the word. The word was made by him. Amen. All things were created. The word was made flesh. Jesus Christ today is the creator of the universe. God bless you. Will you stand? Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for these brave souls that have braved these elements to come to Bible class tonight. I want you to have traveling angels with them. I want you to send them back to their home safe. I want them to give them a good night's rest. I want you to wake them up in the morning, Lord, refreshed and with a newfound desire to serve you and to please you with our lives. Thank you, Jesus. That we're not just involved with a bunch of myths and a bunch of old wives' tales and fantasies, but I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless every one of you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.